general nerdery. So I was going to start this episode with uh, news of David Warner passing. I don't know if you know who he is off the top of his head, but he's... Absolutely. In fact, we just talked about The Omen like a month and a half ago. Oh, I forgot he was in a bunch of horror stuff. Yes. Uh, Actor on a bunch of Doctor Who and a bunch of Star Trek, including Mm -hmm. some of the best Star Trek episodes ever. One they referenced in the very first scene of this season. But then the day before we record, Nichelle fucking Nichols dies. And she's 89, so like... It was coming. Yes. But goddamn, like part of me was like, did I bring this on? Because we decided to talk about Star Trek. Right. God, that would be, ooh, that's a power I do not want to have. Um, well, and God, Nichelle Nichols and Bill Russell on the same day. Remind me, Bill Russell. Uh, NBA player. Oh, yeah. Okay. I saw Obama's thing about mm-hmm. it, and I didn't know who he was. Um I do it, was, actually, <laughs> it was one of those, they were both kind of right in the si- same time period, some of the most forefront black entertainers of their, yeah. of the era. Yeah. I do want to talk a little more about Nichelle Nichols, but first, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And yeah, so Nichelle Nichols, I was thinking about this. I did not really expect to be as messed up about this as I am. Mm-hmm. Um... But, I mean, we did an episode about her on Word Balloons recently. She is... Her character may not be the most important character in canon of Star Trek. But she's probably the most important person to ever work on Star Trek, if you look at, like, her accomplishments in life. And I don't want to, like, insult Jean or George Takei, who's been a major, like, gay rights activist, Mm -hmm. or all the others. But we've talked about it before. Imagine being Martin Luther King's favorite actress. (laughs) Right. Like, that's that's fucking wild. Uh, or getting recruited in the 80s, I think 80s, might have been 90s, to help recruit black women into NASA. NASA, yeah. To being Whoopi Goldberg's major inspiration to becoming an actress. Or one of the major mm-hmm. inspirations. Like, gee, any one of those things would be such a, like, life-altering accomplishment, and she's got, like, six others on top of that. Also, the first, or at least one of the very first interracial kisses on television. It's kind of problematic in retrospect, but also... But it's also one of those things where it's better better that it happened than it didn't, but... Yeah. Yeah, I just, my whole day, I'm like, Nichelle fucking Nichols! So she especially ties into this episode better. There was another one from this past week. We already mentioned David Warner. There was another one from the past week that actually fucked me up a lot more than I thought it was going to. And that's because uh, Bernard Cribbins also passed. That's the other one. I would, geez. We try not to talk too often about like other person died and I'm sad now, but there were so many this week. Oh my God. Bernard Cribbins. He God, I'm I'm so hopeful that they finished recording his appearance in the 60th anniversary mm-hmm. special because there's set photos of him. He was there. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to see him one and more he time. He loved being Wilfred. on Doctor Who, mm-hmm. so I desperately hope that he got to complete that. It sounds like he died in his sleep from being fucking old as opposed to anything serious. Yeah, that one messed me up. Um, and didn't mess me up, but important to mention... Alan Grant, who was a major comic book writer, huge Batman Mm -hmm. writer. Uh, The most famous Lobo storylines are like 
the reason we actually care about Lobo, if we're being honest, Keith Giffen created Lobo for Omega Men. It's fine, but he also wore a bright orange and purple jumpsuit during those appearances. Like, Alan Grant was the guy that made him... The main man. The main man, yeah, for real. Like, what we think of Lobo today. Him and Simon Bisley, but Bisley's still here, luckily. Mm -hmm. It's been an emotional couple of weeks, <laughs> so that's really where I'm going with this. So, what have you been ingesting? Hey! <laughs> I watched, and I'm going to push us to do an episode on this one soon, because I had so much fun with it. I watched the, I think, 1996 The Phantom. Okay, yeah. With Billy Zane as Fuck the yeah. head. And, uh, Listen to your uh, friend Billy Zane. He's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones as a, like, probably less, at least bisexual sky pirate. Okay. Uh, God, it's been so long since I've seen it. It's so good. Fucking, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the actor's name. Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat. Oh, uh, yeah. Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. Yep. He plays the head of a secret brotherhood of pirates that have existed since the 15th century. I believe he it. Fucking kills a gangster by shooting him with a cannon. <laughs> He's... The whole movie is just insane. And, like, I knew it was. I remembered it, and I remember it being kind of, like, trashy, not very good. And the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, okay, so, like, plot is non-existent in this movie. It is garbage nonsense. I do not care at all. The whole movie is a delight from beginning to end. Yeah, like, I remember loving that movie, but at the same time, I also know that I haven't seen it in literally over 20 years now, so... I love The Phantom. We've covered this mm -hmm. a little bit over the various podcasts, and about once a year I go into, like, a Phantom craze, because uh, he's the ghost who fucking walks. And on a... just out of nowhere, it's like, I'm gonna watch The Phantom, and it's free on YouTube. Really? On YouTube movies, so... <laughs> I mean, you have to Even have commercials better. if you don't have ad blocker, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And I put it on, and I warned my roommate, I'm like, this isn't going to be good, but we're going to have fun. He's like, I'm in. And Cece's watching, and she suddenly goes, didn't you make me watch this a couple years back? <laughs> yeah, but you enjoyed it. And she's like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> like, real quick, it, oh man, the whole thing, and like, Catherine Zeta-Jones is a sky pirate who has nothing but lady pirates that hang out with her, all of them flying biplanes. She's nah. enjoying being evil but wanting to make out with the... Just, like, reveling in it. And then the moment that someone threatens the other woman with, like, assault, she's like, well, looks like I'm a good guy now. We're not playing that fucking game. <laughs> Which I was really into. Uh, pretty sure... That all of those people, the the Phantom and, uh, God, what's her name? Diane, his romantic interest, yeah. and Catherine Zeta-Jones, whose name I did not catch. But she's Catherine Zeta-Jones, so who cares? Or I'm I'm just going to insist that they are a three-way They're a thruple. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I will accept no other answers. <laughs> I was like, eh, maybe it's just the two women. I'm going, no. She super wanted to fuck Billy Zane throughout this entire movie. Like, they... Sala? Sure. I knew she's a part of the ongoing Phantom. Oh, mythos. shit. James Remar's in it. Which one is James Remar? He apparently played Quill. 
I'll show you a picture of him. Oh, it's uh, uh, Shitty Raiden from the second. Yeah, Shitty Raiden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, he's not a bad actor. I actually like him. But I think of him as the not good Raiden because he's not my main man. I mean, you, the can, Highlander. Re- you can replace that with thinking of him in like... The oh, FBI no. agent from Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was going to say The Warriors because it's a good movie. But... Yes. No, there's so many actually good. I can't remember. Who's the... Um, do you just have that list of actors, like, of cast up now? Because I can... Uh, a few of them. Who else were you The wondering? The main bad guy. His name is uh, Xander something. Trent Williams, who was also in Hair. He... Had so much fun playing the bad guy. Treat Williams as Xander Drax. Like, we've talked about how uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones looks like he's always having fun playing Harvey Dent in Batman Forever. This guy looks like he's having even more fun. Probably because this was actually a fun movie to make and Batman Forever was supposed to be a behind-the-scenes nightmare. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. God, it's so dumb. Do not get me wrong. Every part of this movie is just doofy. I want to say that I want to watch it right away now. I know I'm not going to. I got too much shit on my watch list, but we're, we'll, we'll get, we'll to, get it. to it. We'll get to soon. it <laughs> We'll get to it. It's too. So I beat Elden Ring again. And then, uh, as you saw the other day, I started fucking around on Power Wash Simulator. I'm not judging. I am still confused. I, I'm not even going to say that it's necessarily like super, there is something, it's not even like necessarily oddly satisfying. It's more like it has me oddly curious. There is something kind of satisfying though about getting everything. Like, I guess I kind of, I played a lot of Super Mario Sunshine where half the game is just that. It's one of those ones where I like it just enough that... I'm curious about like how the next piece of equipment works. <laughs> like I turn, I put it on as a joke and then I started playing it and I'm like, well, this doesn't like suck. So I'm going to continue it for a couple minutes and maybe next it'll, you you maybe it'll start it. to suck. And then it was like, well, I'm earning money. I wonder what like my next power wash up is going to be like. And now I'm kind of in that cycle again. Like, well, I'm still earning money, so, like, I wonder what my next power washer is going to perform like. The whole concept of the of just various simulator games are so interesting to me because my wife has been playing uh, Goat Simulator a lot, and I love Goat Simulator, so I get it, but I play it for, like, an hour, and I'm like, well, that was fun. I didn't actually accomplish much, and she's through all of them, like, playing all the expansion packs, mm. has learned how to do the zombie fighting one, like... Yeah, I don't know, it's weird how it's hooked me, because I I can't say, like, oh, it's it's because it's super relaxing, or, like, oh, I just love being able to do this. It's like, no, it kind of reminds me that I still need to, like, clean up my apartment some, and, like... <laughs> parts of it are, like, I think behind the scenes, there there's some bits of it that are low-key, like, extremely well done. Like, there's extremely well done hit detection for your water and shit, Mm -hmm. but it's still... It's more... It's just good enough that I'm curious about, okay, so what's the next thing feel like? What's the next thing like? And the levels are also kind of weird, and I'm like, well, what are they going to make me clean next? 
Like I'm in the middle of doing a skate park right now. And it's like, there's a lot of fucking shit to clean because they give you like the, it's not normal dirty. It's like everything is fucking caked in shit. Every single inch of that skate park is caked in shit. Ew. I don't know. And then um, I went and watched Nope. Oh, I've heard nothing but good things. It's It was really good. I think I like it more than Us. And you're I did th- really like Us. You're the third person to recommend this movie to me in a 24-hour period. So let's put it that way. It's... First off, let me say it's not the trailers. The trailers were for some other movie that's five times as surreal and not as fucking super straightforward as this movie is. Okay. There's still like lessons or like messages in the movie, but it's not as crazy deep as his last two. Mm-hmm. They're a lot more surface and a lot more easy to pick up on, but not in a bad way. It almost makes it easier to notice all the really neat foreshadowing and bookending of certain visuals and and clues and stuff that he actually puts into the movie. I think we sometimes critique things for not being subtle, and not everything has to be fucking watch it six times to catch the, you know, beautifully well-embedded. Well, and it's not even that. It's not that... It's not like you have to watch Get Out six times to understand it. I'm told Get Out's not that subtle either. No, no, that's the thing. It's not that subtle, but it's about, like, its messages and what it's saying are a lot deeper. Fair enough. Okay, I get what you're saying now. Whereas this is, okay, mild spoilers for one of the themes of the movie, though there's multiple themes that are going throughout the movie. It's one that I wish uh, a lot more people, especially in our state, for their own good... Uh, Hi, tourists, Montana. mostly tourists, would uh, understand. And stop fucking with the wildlife. Stop fucking with animals. <laughs> <laughs> and then, no much you, how, no much how, no matter how much you anthropomorphize them, they're still animals. They're still animals, and they're gonna react in certain ways to certain stimuli. God, and you have of- to learn how to read that and like don't fuck with animals the number of like man killed by bison because he decided to try and ride it or like pet it or all of that like no that's literally what literally a recurring theme through that movie is like animals aren't people you can't read them the same way oh my god i had a I don't want to call him a friend because he's kind of a piece of shit in mm-hmm. retrospect, but, you know, like one of those college friends that you're like, I'm not sure why we hung out, but we did a lot, mm-hmm. who insisted when I would get mad about, like, people fucking with animals like that. He's like, I just pet a moose once, like a wild moose, because I turned around a corner and there it was, a fully wild moose, so I just pet it, because what was I going to do, run? I was like, you fucking liar. <laughs> moose? Are the last remnants of the Ice Age, and they remember being in the Ice Age. Like, you do not... People are scared of bears, and I get it, because you don't fuck with bears, but, like... You really I, don't fuck with moose. I'm so much more scared of I'm a full-grown so moose than I am a bear. I'm so fucking scared of moose. <laughs> I hit a deer the other day with my truck, which fucking sucked, and I felt bad about it, and the poor, luckily the poor thing died really fast, and it was not my fault, not important, but someone was telling me about hitting a moose, and I was like, how are you alive? They're like twice the size of my truck. And I'll say, it, like a minor spoiler, but in the movie, it's not even so much fucking with animals. It's more like just thinking you have more control of the situation than you do. Mm, that's very true. That's very, 
having ridden a horse and be like, oh God, I'm comfortable on motorcycles. Motorcycles are dangerous, but they don't have a brain that has other ideas than not me. Right. <laughs> and like not everything senses the world the way you do. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, there's there's multiple themes through that movie, but that's one of them that I just wanted to bring up because it's like, yo, if people watch this movie, maybe it'll make not as many people get hurt in Yellowstone. Also, horses are pretty dumb. I'm not insulting horses. They're actually pretty wonderful creatures that I'm very fond of. But they get confused by hats. Yeah. Or that rock might be a scary person. So, like, take into account that they are seeing a very different world. I mean, they're prey animals, so mm -hmm. that's part of it, but... But yeah, su like I said, a lot more straightforward than I thought it was going to be. Su kind of beautiful. I can't... Given that, it, like, I, I talk about horror movies all the time, I've already had multiple people ask me, like, what I would rate it. I'm going to say a solid 8, only because, like, it does everything super well, and I really liked it, but 9 also feels way too close to perfection for what the movie also is, if that Fair makes enough. sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't like assigning things like 9 out of 10, or mm -hmm. and I'll never give something a 10 out of 10. Nothing's perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, Maybe into the Spider-Verse, but... <laughs> Princess Bride. Fair, yeah, fair enough. Oh, I got one other thing that I've started. I've not got... I don't know if I'm going to finish it. I will finish at least the first volume, but a comic book I started reading called Kaiju Max. Okay. That uh, Alan Moore was quoted saying nice things about it on the front. And Alan Moore doesn't say nice things. So that's impressive on its own, especially any comic in the last, like, 20 years. It is about a kaiju prison where all of the guards have kind of Ultraman powers. Okay. So they're, like, normal people, but they can transform into giant yeah. Ultraman-style people. And it's very cartoony, but it is not cartoony at all in the like the style is very cartoony but the story is just a straight up prison story oh okay in wait so like the kaiju have color gangs there is the like cryptid style kaiju gang and the oh, like shit. Really? Godzilla gang oh that's fucking wild the, uh there are what? Kaiju that have converted into robots, so there's like basically Mecha Godzilla that are preaching robot faith as they've been basically like oh, right. Nation of Islam, like yeah, being yeah. converted in the in prison into nonviolence. Uh, there's a, a shiving that happens in like the very first issue. There's a corrupt prison guard. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a there's a corrupt Ultraman that sells drugs. That is like radiation or virgins. Okay. To the various guards that owes a debt to like the mother of one of the people in prison. Content warning. There's a fucking prison rape scene in this. Not like yeah. detail, but. But it happens. It's very clear what happens. There's not a good guy in this one. It is. All right. I don't know if I'm going to keep reading it, but it's good. It, it falls under that same kind of thing of the stuff that I'm like, this isn't necessarily for me. Right. You know, in the same reason that Orange is the New Black is not really a show that I got wildly into. I really liked the first three seasons, and then it just stopped. Or doing... fucking, what was it, Oz? The other, uh, like, Oz, prison? Yeah. Like, <laughs> more than one person started watching thinking it was a fucking Dorothy Gale story and then found out it was... 
Did you get up to much of... Anyway. If you're asking about Orange is the New yeah. Black, like, nothing. I, I have fucking... Cause I've seen bits of it. Oh, uh, fucking Janeway's great in it. Yeah. Camel Grew is a delight. I hear she can be kind of a bitch in real life. Her and the actress who played Seven of Nine, Jerry Ryan... Mm. Did not get along, and it was mostly because Kate Mulgrew was a bitch. Yeah, she was one of my favorite parts in that show, though. Uh, in Voyager, they were like, look at this badass feminist thing. In season four, we're like, we're going to bring in this super hot character, and a lot of stories are going to be about her and her cat suit from now on. Like, yeah. Seven of Nine suit was so tight that they had her, her original costume that they had to keep oxygen on. Oh, shit. On stage so she could, like, breathe it in between. She was like, no, we are changing this. So Kate Mulgrew was kind of like, you're ruining our feminist show, which is super unfair because Seven of Nine's story is amazing. But, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I love Kate Mulgrew. Apparently that was not a good working relationship. Look, while we're talking about Star Trek, we watched some trailers. Yes. Do we want to do the Star Wars trailer we did first? Let's or? let's finish with that. Okay, that's fair. We're already and it's sort the one of you're on probably the track most excited. Yeah, uh, we watched. These are both from Comic Con, but we saved them for this instead of our Comic Con bonus episode. Uh, we watched Star Trek Picard season three trailer, which is not so much a trailer as it is. Look at these characters with voiceover, and I've watched it many times as a result. So. As someone on the outside looking in for the most part, Mm -hmm. this season teaser of Picard appears to be there is a bunch of people from this universe that people have liked for most of their lives and they're all getting old. So we want to give them a good show that even if some of them continue in other places, we can call it a very good farewell to most of them. Yes. That's that's a hundred percent. What Star Trek Picard season three is. Because, I mean, they... Uh, we uh, want to get them all on stage for one last time. Yes, Patrick Stewart agreed to do Star Trek Picard, and he wasn't originally going to. He he came, like, they were like, we had this idea. Will you come mm-hmm. in and talk with us? And he's like, well, I fucking love Star Trek. And apparently he'd been watching Next Gen as, like, an 83-year-old man being like, Damn, I was good. Um, and apparently, so, Michael Dorn went, can I look the most badass that I've ever looked? Good fucking God, he looks good. And somebody we'll said there. yes. We'll get there in just a second. But uh, And he's and Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart was like, I'm going to come in because I respect you, but I'm going to say no. And then by the end of the meeting, he's like, I will absolutely make Star Trek Picard with you. Uh, and they, the cast talked that he went, because they just hang out. Will Wheaton's been very clear of, like, they helped him quit drinking. They, they're his family more than, you know, they've been Mm -hmm. together for fucking ever. And none of them were happy with Star Trek Nemesis. Mm. They were Mm -hmm. all the, the final next gen story. All of them were like, God, we can do better, better. And Riker has... Uh, I don't really remember Nemesis that well. I, I saw it in theaters. I have seen it since, and I still hardly remember it. It's the one it. where Mad Max plays a clone of Picard. Right. And that's about all I remember. Like, I can see him in my mind, too, as... Yeah. Like... Shinzon mm-hmm. was his name. It's a thing. Data dies in it. Mm. There are parts of it that I liked. There were some good moments in it. It's not... It's probably the weakest of the next-gen Star Trek. It's 
definitely the weakest of the next-gen Star Trek movies, which means I still had fun with it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's a really unneeded psychic assault on Diana that's, like, a very obvious analog of rape. Mm -hmm. There was no reason for that. They were so excited to have Tom Hardy, because he's up. I mean, that was before he was a huge star, but, like, up and coming. Yeah, because he's, like... Like super skinny young. Yeah, that Tom is before Hardy. he buffed himself up for uh, Bronson. Bronson, and just kind of kept it. Yeah, this was when he was still like rock and roller skinny. Mm-hmm. I forgot he was in rock and roller. God, not my favorite of those movies, no. but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, 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 sorry, Pat, sorry, uh, yeah. telling that didn't finish. Patrick Stewart took them all out to to dinner, and apparently two of them were talking. And this is right when right before they announced Picard, but everyone kind of mm-hmm. knew it was coming. And they were like, he's going to tell us that he got a new show. Uh, he got the next Star Trek show. And they're like, he's going to tell us that he got the new Star Trek show and we didn't. And he feels bad, which is why he's buying us dinner. <laughs> um, but like they, you know, uh, but they all wanted to come back in, but they'd all been pretty clear of like, we'll come back in if you have something for us. Not just like, just to say, hi. Oh, look, I'm here. Yeah. And, not William Frakes, uh, Jonathan Frakes, who plays William Riker. So I, I yes. always do that. And Marina Sirtis, who plays Diana Troy, both appeared in the first season of Picard. Frakes directs on fucking everything. William or Thomas Riker? <laughs> William. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, Brent Spiner has been in both seasons of Picard and will be in this one. He played Data but they hadn't gotten anyone else back, even though all of them were like, give us something worth doing and we'll fucking do it. And they were very clear of like, all right, this is the last time Patrick Stewart's going to play Picard. Partially because he's 83 fucking years old. He could live another older. I think he's in his eighties. That's he's at that age. He could live another 20 years or he could die tomorrow. Yeah. Just in his sleep, like nothing bad going on. So we need to finish this up right. And what's exciting is we learn a lot about these characters. 82. Sorry. Had no, thank up. you for doing that. Yep. He didn't really age until he hit about 75, late 70s. And then he aged really fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, I mean, he actually was like, oh, look, I'm 75. So it's not really fast. But <laughs> like the amount he didn't age for so many years before. But we, we learn a lot about these characters just from the little bits that we see. At the end of Deep Space Nine, one of the last times we saw Worf, he basically left Starfleet to go be an ambassador. He's wearing a uniform. I'm pretty sure he's got the captain's pants on. Not 100% sure on that. I couldn't quite Not corn? see. Save it for the episode. <laughs> the, uh, God, Lower Decks is so good. But, I mean, there was a bit in DS9 where he fucked up so bad that they're like, you might not ever be a captain. You may never get to command your own ship because of this fuck up you did. Mm -hmm. But we get where you were coming from. Doesn't not important to this. Seeing Michael Dorn as Worf, seeing my favorite character in the history of Star Trek playing old man Worf, who looks no less fucking badass than he ever has. And in fact, significantly more badass than he (laughs) has. He's like, yeah, I'm wearing a Starfleet uniform. Yes, I have a big fucking knife on my back. What are you talking about? Why would this be weird to you? <laughs> uh, seeing Jordy LaForge. Yeah. Who he mentions being a dad in it. His daughter is playing his daughter in oh, this. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Also, he's wearing a fucking Commodore rank badge. 
we haven't seen a Commodore since like the fucking 60s Star Trek. I think Picard season one might have had one, but I don't. Picard's kind of my blank spot on Star Trek. I haven't watched as much of it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Seeing, you know, Riker's not wearing the uniform, but he does have the captain's pips on his jacket. Seeing Crusher in civilian clothes, but still being like, yeah, let's go be fucking space heroes. That's what we are. Uh, Seven of Nine is wearing a Starfleet uniform. She was, it was revealed in season two, she was not allowed to join Starfleet because it was a risk. Because she's mm-hmm. former Borg. Uh, and at the end, and I've seen this clip, Picard's like, fuck it, you're in charge of this. I'm giving you the acting rank of captain. Let's do this. Now she's in full uniform and I think commander rank, but still. Like, okay. That means Picard fucking muscled her in, being like, I am Jean-Luc Picard. Are you really going to tell me no? Hell yeah. We're getting way more talking out of this just because I'm so excited than I was expecting. Uh, but yeah, we don't, I know nothing, nothing. <laughs> other than the fact that from what I've seen of the other, it Riker's basically going like time for a family trip. Like Picard's got to do something. And the rest of the crew is going to muscle their way in and be like, you left us out the last couple times you had adventures and you're not doing it now, old man. <laughs> Fuck you, captain. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm like I said, I haven't watched. I mean, I watched the first two episodes of the first season of Picard. You might have seen more. I've seen the first episode and I've seen several clips. Um, so I don't know too much of what even could be going on. But yay. Like, we, it, like, a, yo, Michael Dorn looked fucking badass as shit. Like, I'm for that. So we were watching through Next Gen and then we got into the final two seasons, which are not as strong. Mm-hmm. There's some gold episodes in those but there's also a lot of like not so gold (laughs) you're not like actively bad for the most part but we gotta fucking just get through it it kind of becomes a slog at some points and then netflix took them off and i'm like god damn it uh lower deck season three i'm so happy i mean it just it just looks so good and like i'm i wonder i don't know like we know that uh, the captain's still still locked up, but everything else was kind of just like random action clips. Well, there were some moments in this of the first uh, trailer for season three where it's mostly just like talky mm-hmm. bits over a cool moment uh, where it kind of sounded like a bigger part of the season was going to be got to go rescue Captain Mom. But looking at this, it looks like they might get that done with pretty fast and get back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Lower Decks is pretty willing to do episodic Star Trek as opposed to season-long arc. And I wouldn't have hated if they did a season-long arc, but I also don't hate them just doing the formula that's working very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I just, everything looked like shit that I'm still going to enjoy. I got sur- that's what I mostly got from it. I got surprisingly emotional at seeing Deep Space Nine and hearing the Deep Space Nine intro music playing as they like. And you don't watch Deep Space Nine. I no. mentioned this well, but they have a bit where they're circling around and they're making fun of it in the time. And it was fucking funny. I almost fell out of my chair laughing the first time. But they like picture perfect recreate one of the opening bits of Deep Space Nine where it's circling around the spaceship and the or the space station and the, the wormholes opening in the background and there's a random Federation ship 
just slowly circling the station for reasons that no one really understands, <laughs> but it looks good. Yeah, just and keep circling. Like, We're going to make fun of that. I'm in. <laughs> just keep circling. They're owning the, like, fashion is fucking weird in the Federation when you're not in uniform mm, mm-hmm. because you know it's the 80s and 90s guessing what the future will be but it's still got that 80s 90s aesthetic so strange sweatshirts of like six not matching colors with like weird jarring asymmetrical designs going with it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're like a more colorful walking dixie cup yeah and they're eating in fucking cisco's creole kitchen which is captain cisco's dad's kitchen from deep space nine mm-hmm. he doesn't show up a lot but he's one of the recurring characters and it's a great actor whose name i cannot think of off the top of my head but uh he he played uh um not atticus but the the black guy in to kill a mockingbird oh uh oh brock peters yeah he's played a lot of people but in star trek but joseph cisco is such a good Oh, God, without going too far into it, because Deep Space Nine is its whole thing that's hard to talk about. Um, One of the most revolutionary things about Deep Space Nine was powerful black fathers and, like, black fathers and sons showing love to each other in ways that we don't really see on TV. And I've heard people argue, like, it's not just black fathers, it's fathers, which is true. But also when so much of our society has the racist narrative of either shitty or non-existent black fathers, having fathers who like even just kiss their sons, Mm -hmm. like forehead kiss or whatever, like show affection for one another was so powerful in ways that it still sticks out today in 2022. And this came out in 1995, 93, I think was the first season, but not important. I would have never saw him on Deep Space Nine because I never watched that. But he was also Fleet Admiral Cartwright in uh, Voyage Home and Undiscovered Country, which I did see both of those. He's a fucking traitor in that one. (laughs) (laughs) I like Undiscovered Country. That's the one. I mean, it's goofy, but it also has a Klingon quoting Shakespeare while trying to kill Kirk. So let's do this shit. Fuck yeah. Also, a direct implication that Spock is a direct descendant of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Leonard Nimoy has a quote in it of, like, as a great ancestor of mine once said, whatever uh, whatever cannot be denied, however... Un- it, it's the yeah, quote uh, about, uh, mm-hmm. however illogical must therefore be the truth. Mm-hmm. Wow. Spock's like, my ancestors said that, and everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? You're, you're what? I'm sorry, are you saying Arthur Conan Doyle is your ancestor, or fucking Sherlock Holmes? Because... Wild crossovers suddenly become popular in ways that I'm super into. Hell yeah. And or trailer. Okay. Uh, I'm down. Fuck, it looks good. It looks more cinematic than any of the other uh, Disney Plus shows that we've gotten so far. It looks grander in scale as a part of that. I mean, we're getting actual, like large-scale politics, which we haven't gotten in the other Disney shows, because we've gotten Obi-Wan getting shit done, but also, like, on the run, keeping low profile. We have Vader in Obi-Wan, but we don't have a ton of Star Destroyers. We don't have the Senate. Mm -hmm. We have a member of the Senate. And Mando is Space Western, so we're not fucking going to Coruscant much there. 
No, but this is This war. is the formation of the rebellion. So we're going to have those smaller moments. We're going to have Andor learn Cassian Andor learning to be Cassian Andor. But we're also pretty sure that one woman that we saw there was Mon Mothma, like Ooh, I'm not sure. I'd have to look up. I don't I can't say enough to say one way or another because I feel like they may have actually announced a name for her and I, I don't know. I'm hoping it's Mon Mothma because she's a major founder of the Rebellion, so if we're going to discuss founding the Rebellion, she better be fucking be in this show. Found out Forrest Whitaker is in this, which even if... I don't know if they announced it, but I didn't catch it if they didn't. Oh yeah, Genevieve O'Reilly. So yeah, she is playing Mon Mothma. Good. Because mm-hmm. we've seen Mon Mothma being like, yes... I am the soft-spoken founder of the Rebellion who will institute the attack on Endor. I'm important. And we're like, who are you again? (laughs) God, I want Admiral Akbar to show up somewhere in this. If I remember right, they announced this first season's going to cover The first year. year. It'll be 12 episodes, one year. And then the second season is 12 episodes, four years. And it's basically three episodes a year. Mm Mm-hmm. Not three episodes coming out a year in real time, but right. each three episodes covers a year of the rebellion forming through the eyes of Cassian Andor. Professional shitbag for a good cause, if we're being honest. Like, I really love Andor, but the first thing we see him do is murder a dude. Yeah. To make sure he doesn't give away information. Like, Andor is openly, in his own words, not a good person. He's had to do shit for the rebellion, because... That's what you sometimes have to do in leading a rebellion. And war is shit. Anyway, I'm super fucking excited. It looks like the most grown-up Star Wars we've ever gotten. Well, Rogue One was up until this point, so... I mean, it might still be. I don't mind the idea of there being some jokes in this. Like, I understand there will be some jokes, but... K2SO is coming back. There's going to be jokes. Oh, that's confirmed. I'm so happy. I didn't know for sure. But they did, like, one of the things that made Rogue One so good was they kept the humor to K2SO and didn't overuse him. So we got, here's a moment of levity, and now it's back to unrelenting, everything is terrible. Mm-hmm. God, I gotta rewatch that movie, it was so good. Oh, I'm super gonna rewatch it before... Before uh, it starts up. Yeah. I know there's a prequel to it, but I don't care. Like, yeah, start at just, the end and go back to the beginning. Gotta get back in that field, though. Mm-hmm. Be like, mm, there let, are let the bad wash over me. <laughs> let the sad. <laughs> there are the uh, used to be Fantasy Flight. They changed it. It's the same company, but a different name, mm, like a mm-hmm. different a sub company that does the Star Wars RPGs right now. And there are three of them. Like they separated each into three core books that all are uh, interchangeable. Okay. Like you can uh, all of them mixed together in ways so you can use anything from anything. Yeah. But they're all focused towards kind of the three different parts of Star Wars. So there is Edge of the Empire, which is all about smugglers, assassins, bounty hunters, mm-hmm. the hut cartels. It, it, it's all about the Han Solo stuff. Solo is a movie that is like the greatest representation of a fucking Edge of the Empire campaign I've ever seen. Okay. Mando is also doing a lot of really good stuff with that. Bringing in a little bit of uh, Age of Rebellion, you know, with the Empire moving in. But for the most part, it's an Edge of the Empire campaign. Force and Destiny is all of the Force shit. Okay. Obi-Wan 
is Force and Destiny with a little bit of Edge of the Empire brought in and a little bit of Age of Rebellion brought in, but like all about that Force shit. This one looks like Age of Rebellion. This is the grim and gritty, the the down and dirty is a better term for it. Grim and gritty has its own fucking mm-hmm. meanings of what it is to be in the rebellion fighting the Empire. There might be a Force user, but they're not a huge part of your story here. Yeah. It's like being the IG. Only sometimes the Space Marines show up. Oh, Imperial Guard. I'm yeah. sorry. You said IG, and I'm like, IG-88? IG-11? Like, <laughs> Taika Waititi? <laughs> um, I'm super fucking down. I can't wait for it to start. It's probably the Star Wars I'm most looking forward to right now, even over it, whatever comes next from Oddly, Mando. it's not the Star Wars I'm most looking forward to. I don't know if I have one that I'm like, oh, Taika's. But... With, while think, knowing nothing about that, it has the potential to be the best Star Wars thing to come out. I'm I'm super hungry for any more information about the Acolyte, though, too. That could be super interesting. Yeah, ooh, I'm looking forward to it. Really, what I'm looking forward to, because Acolyte, this is the Taika, the stuff that's not taking place during the Galactic Civil War. Yeah. Not that it's not a super fertile fucking ground for making stuff. Not that I don't love the Clone Wars and I don't love the Galactic Civil War. I don't even hate the second Galactic Civil War of the, the, the sequel trilogy, but like give me fresh ground to to really shake things up in ways that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. That's I think it that's for it. Now. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will go from like soup serious to the exact fucking opposite of that. Yay. So as I'm watching this, uh, re-watching, I've probably watched it two or three times already at this point, but uh, talking to roommate Grizz, and I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to like reference every fucking Star Trek Easter egg they drop in this season, because there's so many of them. I'm going to drive Tyler up a wall ex- trying to explain all of them. Awesome. And Guess what I was about to bring up? The fact many? that I went into taking my notes with the thought of having you explain shit and then I looked up the first two episodes on Memory Alpha, and at the bottom they have CVS receipts of the amount of references in each episode, and I'm like, oh no, we're not approaching it this way. <laughs> no, we will be talking about several, some of them I had to look up, but uh, I was like, man, like, I don't, I'm gonna just drive Tyler up a wall if I do this. And he goes, this is just what it's like every time he has to explain all of the music and horror references you never get. <laughs> God, like, I mean... There are a couple things I wrote down that I want you to explain to do. me. Lower Decks has always, from the very first episode, from the very first scene, had references to past Star Trek, to all sorts of stuff. Jesus Christ, this one is full. Just the opening... The open, the cold open of the first one, I counted like four or five major Star Trek references. Uh, oh, also, pretty sure in the trailer for season three, we see General Martok, who is a major, major character in Deep Space Nine and ends as the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. Also, referenced in that first season cold open where she talks about a one-eyed Klingon giving her a sword. Probably Martok, because he's got one mm-hmm. fucking eye. And is. Just a delight. Also, Blood Brothers with Worf, so I'm just super into him. Um, I'm don't. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, uh, since we already did one episode about Lower Decks and mentioned who all the cast was. But I'm just going to really quick, please do, 
give at least the main cast like we got also we've done an episode on this so like you want to hear this like setup shit more in depth go listen to that episode yeah we'll be talking less we'll talk about the we're not going to set the episodes but not like who the fuck is mariner yeah tawny newsome is becca mariner god i love her jack quaid is brad boimler uh noel wells is devon attendee eugene cordero is sam rutherford don lewis is carol freeman jerry o'connell's jack ransom uh, Fred Tasha Tatashior? I have no idea. Uh, as Shax. I love Shax so much. And Jillian Vigman as Ta'ana. That's our main cast. That's the main cast, yeah. Okay, so I will ask this real fast. Last season, I'm pretty sure you said your favorite character was Mariner. Yes. Has that changed at all? She's still my favorite character, so I'm not expecting you to. I'm just curious. So. Ooh, I hadn't really thought about it, but I don't think it's changed. Uh, I could see it maybe, depending on where they go season three forward, maybe changing towards Rutherford a little bit more. I do love Rutherford. I'm gonna but say I'm definitely still, like, Mariner's my favorite. For the goofy half-hour animated comedy Star Trek, the amount of character growth that Bradward Boimler gets this season <laughs> is ridiculous. Because he's still a doofus. Mm-hmm. But he has become an extremely capable Starfleet officer by the end of the season. And it'll come up in an episode where we'll talk about it more. But I mean, we've generally took this just episode by I figure episode. go episode by episode. I'm just... Okay, so opening episode actually is... Opening, cold open... Opening... <laughs> I gotta stop saying opening. Uh, the cold open of the first episode of this season, titled Strange Energies, I gotta bring up because it fucking references David Warner's finest performance in Star Trek and we watched it the week he died. Yeah. There is an episode of the, it's a two part episode, a chain of command where Picard gets captured by the Cardassians as they, uh, as he's pulled into a black ops mission and David Warner plays a Cardassian named goal, not Masset, but doesn't matter. He, he plays a Cardassian who kidnaps Picard and subjects him to a bunch of mental fucking torture, trying to trying to break him, not even trying to get information out of him because he wants to break him first. And he's just showing him lights and uh, trying to get him to say there's five lights, even though there's four. That's why there's this very famous Picard going, there are four lights. <laughs> It, it's a super, like, you see it in memes and stuff. Okay. Lot. And it sounds goofy, but it is one of the most powerful things Star Trek ever fucking did. And it talks about torture. Uh, Gold Madrid is his name. Oh, okay. Okay. Not important to this. But when she's doing this holodeck opening part and she's breaking out of the Cardassian prison, ignoring the fact that it's just straight up starts with, like, that going on. When she sees hologram Boimler that's kidnapped, he just goes, Mariner, help me. They keep trying to show me lights. Direct reference to that. When she steals a ship, it's pretty reminiscent of Star Trek Three, And it's a Miranda class, which is the ship that uh, Khan steals in Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, the USS Reliant. Okay. Pretty much straight up. There were other ones in that too, but like that was straight up just... Such a love letter to Star Trek with no apologies. Bringing up David Warner again, I also want to say he kind of ties in to last week a little bit as he's the TGRI professor that they learn about the ooze You're from. fucking right. He makes Toka and Razor. Mm-hmm. 
Yes! <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. I love character actors who are like really probably a fucking amazing Shakespearean actors. Like put him in fucking King Lear and see him mop the floor with an, I actually think he's in a Midsummer's Night Dream that I've seen. Yeah. But then you put him in this, or he did a bunch of fucking Doctor Who audio dramas. Also, he was in one of the better Matt Smith Doctor Who episodes. Uh, uh, the one with the ice warrior and the submarine. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorites. I don't know why I love that one so much for Matt Smith. It's it, but it's his like lower top tier episodes. He's in fucking Babylon 5 for an episode, and, like, the main thing I remember about Babylon 5 is fucking digging his character. Never appears again. Super not important to the story. Uh, fucking Tron. Yeah. He's the master control program. Give me character actors who are super willing to do doofy sci-fi because they are still willing to find things in it that matter. Anyway, Zach, tell me about Strange Energies. Okay. Strange Energies, the, I mean, the biggest single reference in it is uh, to Gary Mitchell, which is, and I believe the, it's not the pilot or like the second pilot for the original series, but is a pretty, it is one of the earliest episodes. It's a episode where a man get Gary Mitchell, who's a friend of Kirk, is hit with strange energies and gets godlike powers because a classic of Star Trek is one of our people got godlike powers and are now losing their humanity. Riker had an episode where Q gives him godlike powers. Same thing. In this one, we're hit with one. It does a pretty good job of where are we now with this crew? Like where have we grown from, from what we've seen before Mm -hmm. from the end of season one, while also let's tap into some classic Star Trek we've not done before. Because we have Mariner dealing with her teaming up with her mother. Because at the end of season one, they decide to stop fighting and actually start working together. But because it's those two, mm-hmm. because it's Carol Freeman and uh, Beckett, Mariner, Beckett Mariner, they both go wildly over correct the other direction and are like just impossibly stuck up each other's ass and are driving each other up a wall. We don't get much any... We only get Boimler at the very end of it. Right, 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 because he's over on the Titan. Living his action hero life. Um, Has somebody had to deal with SMD before? Was that a pull from something? I don't think so. But it was a kind of fun way of... Let's examine... The relationship between Tendi and Rutherford. Rutherford. Jesus Christ, I gotta learn names better. I had it literally five minutes ago when we were talking about him. It's okay, uh, I'm glad you were talking because I couldn't remember Tendi for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is kind of a Star Trek thing if someone decides something is wrong with another crew member and goes way fucking overboard <laughs> in an attempt to prove it. It's, it's a very... Um, Wesley finds out that Lore has replaced Data and is trying to convince everyone else, and everyone else is like, shut up, Wesley. Mm. Mm-hmm. God, poor Will Wheaton has been told, shut up, Wesley, ever since, and it's not... Man does not need that. But, I mean, we do get... Where, where is Rutherford? Because he lost most of his memory, or like two years of memory, after 
the end of season one. Where is Tendi, who is desperate to be Rutherford's best friend again? Also, Tendi and Rutherford have a kind of will-they-won't-they they thing going. Not like hardcore, you know, fucking bones that it, it's like half of their show. But No, it's enough, though, that it's starting to annoy me that they're not just doing something with it, though. By I did yell just kiss already a couple of times across uh, this. Yeah, especially towards the end of the season. But um, So... Rutherford is not exactly the same person he was before. He's close, but, you know, he went on a date with a person that he went on a date with in the pilot episode, which is a fun callback that I like, uh, except this time the dates are going great. Mm-hmm. He eats pears now that he didn't like them before. I agree with his insulting pears at the end. I don't like pears. I'm not a pear guy. Um, I'm kind of... Take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me. My wife loves pears, so she doesn't understand. But I'm like, well, more pears for you. (laughs) (laughs) Tendi decides that she needs to fix her friend, which I'm certain comes from the insecurity of, you know, here's this person I, who was the closest person in my life, and he lost all of it. Fuck, I have to keep this person. Honestly, now that I'm trying to talk about it, for the fact that a lot happens in this... Also, I'm not sure where I'm sure Giant Floating Head is a reference to old school TOS episodes. Oh. But I couldn't tell you a specific time. Mm-hmm. It is kind of reminiscent of um, Lincoln floating in space, like Abraham Lincoln floating in space in a chair in front of the Enterprise. And it's got very Q shit yeah. going down with it, but not specifically. The bit where Dr. Ta'ana is like, I'm going to drop a boulder on him is straight up a reference to Kirk beats Gary Mitchell by dropping a boulder. They even bring it up. Yeah, they're like, how did how did they beat Gary Mitchell? Well, Kirk smushed him with a boulder. <laughs> the last time Gary Mitchell vaguely mattered is when everyone figured out that Benedict Cumberbach was going to be playing Khan way too fast. I was about to say, there was... There was I almost rumor. brought that up because I was like, we were 90% sure that Cumberbatch was going to be... Con because they had already tried casting Benicio del Toro. Oh, that would have been so much better. And then there was a 10% chance that if they freaked out early in the script process because we figured out it was Con too quick, that they were just going to turn him into Gary Mitchell instead. Well, and they kind of claimed he was going to be Gary Mitchell, and everyone's like, no, he's not. <laughs> Stop that. Man, Dick Cumberbatch wasn't a terrible Con. He was just white. Uh, he's not I Ricardo wanted... Montalban. Yeah. I want Benicio del Toro so bad. That would have been so great. Oh, I would have been so happy. But honestly, there's not a ton to this episode. It's a it, it's not a placeholder episode. It is a setup episode. It's interesting that little bit with Boimler on the Titan that we do get. They're fighting the Packleds. Yes, we definitely see the Packled storyline from the. I can't believe I'm saying the words Packled storyline, and it's just an <laughs> ongoing thing. They appeared once. Before this, or before Lower Decks, and now they're a major storyline. They're idiots. St- they're they're, they're dumber. so dumb. They're dumber than they were before, but in a way that, like, works and doesn't feel like it breaks they're Star Trek. So dumb. I think Packlets appear in the background once or twice in uh, Deep Space Nine, and, like, they get mentioned, oh, the Packlet vessel is docking or something, but there's no... Other than the episode of Next Gen where they try to kidnap Jordy, and that one was made in the 80s. Jesus. There's 
not much going on. Wow, I'm sorry. I'm getting super distracted by the wind in the window as I'm watching. There's there's a thunderstorm trying to start while we're recording. Um, <laughs> Episode two. Oh, real quick. Oh, okay. I fucking die every time she beats, uh, what's his name, going omnipotent by kicking him, him in, in the balls, balls repeatedly. It, I don't know why it's so funny, because usually that kind of humor's not my thing, but I'm just... I think it's when she's like, oh, sorry, your eyes starting to glow again. I was about Thank to say, you. that's the best part. When it's like, your eyes are glowing again. Oh, nope, sorry. And then Got Dr. Ta'ana just drops a boulder on him anyways, just because she wanted to. <laughs> Dr. Ta'ana is the worst doctor. That's not the worst. Yeah. Episode two, Kayshawn, his eyes open. This is such a fascinating episode to me, because one... It okay, is, my first question, should I watch Darmok? You absolutely should watch Darmok. It's one of the finest episodes of science fiction, not just Star Trek, of science fiction ever made. It is beautiful. I actually knew I should watch Darmok. I just wanted I you know. to say that to the audience. Russell T. Davies has described it as one of the most perfect episodes. He's never watched it. He refuses to watch it because he's scared that it's not going to be as good as the description. <laughs> the B-plot is super forgettable and unimportant. Like, it's interesting and it adds to the A-plot. But, Jesus Christ, they put some of the best acting of Patrick Stewart's career. And I don't know the actor who acts with him, but he's... Oh, my God. Oh, it makes me emotional to think about Darmok. Yui and I were watching through uh, Next Gen with Cece, and we kept referencing Darmok, and I kept, kept having to be like, shut up, we haven't got there yet. And Cece's like, okay, I know this is a thing, and it'll be important. But having that, like, there's no way this is going to be as good as it builds up to. And her being like, good God, this episode was good. But this episode ties into... it. It's a kind of loose sequel to... Darmok because it ties into uh, the children of Tama, who we, who people have been obsessed with fucking forever, but we finally get to see some. I wish we got more of Lieutenant, what is it, Lieutenant Kayshawn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's Because he comes back in a little bit towards the end of the season, too, but I felt like when they introduced him this earlier in the season, I'm like, oh, shit, we're going to just have a Temerian all the way through. I wanted that. We get more of him, but, okay, spoiler for a thing, Strax is going to come back, and I love it because I fucking mm -hmm. love Strax. He's Shax. Shax. Strax is from Doctor Who. Uh, and Shax is probably my favorite of the bridge crew, but I was really looking forward to uh, Lieutenant Kayshawn. Paul Winfield. Paul plays. Winfield, who is so fucking good in that role. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. Well, you've seen him in other Star, Star Trek. Trek, but... Oh, he's got, like, small bits in, like, Terminator and Mars Attacks and shit. Anyway. But, I mean, we also get a episode or a, a sequel episode to fucking... Oh, I want to say it's called The Most Toys, but I'm not sure. The Gatherers were from an episode of Star Trek. It's The Most Toys. The Most Toys, thank yeah. you. Where Data... And they reference it in this. Uh, a gatherer fakes Data's death and kidnaps him, hoping that Data will just be a part of his collection, and it goes terribly, because Data's like, no. <laughs> Why would I... No. <laughs> I'm going to rebel against you, but I'm Data, so I'm going to be super polite and, like, calm about it. But I'm going to fuck you up. And we get a really fascinating uh, uh, examination of Star Trek The Next Generation versus the Star Trek Next Generation movies. 
Because in the Boimler bits, okay, they talk yeah. about how like because they're in fucking action mode and they're in an Enterprise oh, E yeah, sovereign right. style mission. I, I, get what and you're I was gonna say about, one like, of the funniest things I wrote down that fucking had me just almost rolling in from this episode was just the idea that the D was boring. Yeah. Like, oh, God, he's in a string quartet, and they did string quartets, and he was in a play. Also, Riker was adorable in that play. <laughs> he reads Data's poem about his cat, and I love Data's poem about his cat. Riker admits that he misses that, that he misses, like, the goofier parts because he's too busy being action hero Riker. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem with the more action hero Star Trek movies. Like, it makes sense, especially for a movie, but they are so different that I have seen... Like, vote for your favorite captain, and they split Picard into two characters, TNG Picard and action movie hero Picard. Yeah, I uh, see it. The coloring is different because it's much more colored off, the, like, the Sovereign class Enterprise E from First Contact and mm-hmm. Insurrection and Nemesis. The the whole thing. But they'd reference so many Enterprise D moments. The, the uh, Transporter clone is from one of the more interesting Riker episodes... It, it's such an, in, like, I don't know how to talk about it too much because you haven't watched too many of those, but it is a really interesting examination of the, the dichotomy of those two. Plus, a fun little sequel to The Most Toys and watching Beckett, who is so cool and doesn't need anyone, be completely incapable of operating without Boimler. Or not incapable of operating without Boimler, but, like, Oh, I was going to say she's incapable of dealing with anyone who might be on her level without turning it into a competition. Yes, that. But also, like, she needs Boimler. Like, she keeps trying to force Chet to be Bradward. Oh, you can't do this because Brad wouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. It's a, and, I mean, that's just a thing that happens. Have you ever joined a friend group shortly after they lost someone else? You're just like, uh... You're like, I'm not Bob. I don't actually have a per- story for this one. I just, Bob is my, like, well, I need something. Okay, Bob will be the name. Since I kind of figured that everything on the ship was a reference, was there anything that stood out to you from the collector's collection? Um, the copulation helmet of Kalos is really fucking funny because there's many of Kalos items in there. Okay. Uh, Kalos is Klingon Jesus. Okay. Straight up, he's Klingon Jesus. He's in an episode of Next Gen where he's uh, uh, he returns in front of Worf, and Worf's like, whoa, I was doubting my faith, and I just met Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the giant skeleton, I mean, there's a bunch of skeletons. There's even a Mogato skeleton in there, Oh yeah. But which will come up later, but the giant skeleton in a Starfleet uniform, I had to look that reference up. I didn't know it. It is Spock 2. There's an animated series, Star Trek the Animated Series, which they've referenced a few times yeah. in this show. Episode, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's actually called Spock 2, but they meet a clone who kidnaps and clones Spock to create Spock 2, who is a giant clone of Spock, who ends up staying with this guy to help, I don't know, whatever storyline thing is going on. But there's just Spock 2. And apparently the gatherers get this clone's skeleton and people wildly disrespected in this episode. There's some um, a statue of Apollo where they're making jokes about gods, which is references the Apollo. Like they meet Apollo at one point in 
Star Trek mm-hmm. in the original series. The the guy who died that they're cleaning out his ship, he's wearing almost exactly the gatherer uniform that the the first gatherer that we meet oh, okay. is wearing. Um, there's all sorts of weapons from various Star Trek shows. I'm a real sucker for that strange Vulcan weapon that's got like the fan blade on one side and a big heavy oh yeah okay. ball on mm-hmm. the other. Yeah, that like, thing's dope. It's kind of like a monk spade. Yeah, they mention it in uh, Strange New Worlds, where there's a running joke of like you don't get involved in Klingon or not Klingon in Vulcan dating advice. They will hit you with a. I can't think of what it's called, but <laughs> with their big wacky stick. Boimler standing up for the great parts of Starfleet is not just the action hero is actually a really good is kind of a critique of all of the Star Trek movies and even the Star Trek like the the Kelvin verse movies, the ones with Chris Pine as Kirk. Be and I like those movies. Not wild about fucking Star Trek into Darkness. Also it's a terrible name. But uh, Star Trek into Darkness. I, God, I hate it. But, like, you know, they're fun, but they're action movies. And they kind of forget that the fun parts of Star Trek is these are just fucking weirdos exploring space and finding weird things and being like, this flower makes singing noises when you touch it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So having Boimler defend that part of Star Trek really does show what a good Starfleet officer he actually is, which is growth because... He kind of sucked at his job for most of season one. I mean, yeah, he was season one. Season, he was just a couple steps away from being Rimmer. Yeah. Season one, he really wanted to be one of the greats of Starfleet, but I hadn't figured it out yet. Season two is where you see where he could become one of the greats of Star. Rimmer reference is really good. That's a str- He's not Rimmer, but he's got Rimmer-esque qualities, Red mm-hmm. Dwarf style. And that's only because Rimmer is jacked up to, like, 11 on all those qualities. Yes, Rimmer's the poor god. <laughs> um, um, I fucking love that Rutherford guessed that fucking Boimler would end up with the <laughs> transporter <laughs> clone. <laughs> oh, it just seemed like a real Boimler thing to have happen. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of bummed because I want more Chet because he actually seems like a pretty cool dude that would, like be useful in a lot of their adventures. Mm-hmm. Like I could see an actual bridge crew developing of captain. Oh my God. How am I blanking her name again? Uh, uh, what, captain Freeman. No, or Freeman's may, daughter, uh, uh, uh Beckett Mariner, Mariner. Yeah. Uh, an actual, a uh, captain Mariner, uh, a commander Boimler, a Rutherford as chief engineer, bring in Chet as chief of security, uh, Tendi, couple of roles she could play chief science officer or chief medical which we'll get into well see i think i think that's kind of the thing i think they are kind of setting that up it's just that the main group is still going to be these four Mm -hmm. i just i like chet so i want more chet i think he brings in a fun dichotomy it was also real funny though of like we've accepted you whoop bradward's back get the fuck out chet but it's kind of like towards the end of this season they make a big deal of the fact that, like, Mariner's now getting along with Jen? The definite implied romance with Jen at the very end, which is fun, because in her first episode... Oh, that's one of the fucking references in the cold open. She goes, Oh, man, I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal issues, <laughs> but I do not like her. Gene Roddenberry forbid 
the writing staff of Next Generation to have any of the main cast members dislike one another. That's fucking hilarious. They weren't allowed to have major interpersonal issues mm-hmm. because mankind has evolved beyond that, which is not how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Roddenberry meant so well, man. Yeah. Definite implied romance, but also it just, like, she seemed to be introduced into the group, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. with that last episode. And they also made a big deal of the fact that that uh, Vulcan gal is going to be coming over to start. Oh, Fleet. and we'll get to that. God, I'm really... That and so I'm wondering if they're episode. I'm wondering if they're setting up a crew that will eventually happen. That would but be, you still have the, sort of the main core that this story is the actually sequel about. to Star Trek Lower Decks is Star Trek Upper Decks, and it's just them in command. Mm-hmm. Give it a better name, but still. Oh no, Upper Decker. <laughs> <laughs> Upper Decker. <laughs> Star Trek Middle Decks. Um, we'll, we'll always, always have, have Tom, Tom Paris. Paris. We get. A team up that we didn't get before and making fun of the fact that we hadn't had this before of Tendi and Beckett spending time together. I like that the show just treated it like that. Like, wait, this hasn't happened yet. Cool. We're going to be open about it. It's like a glaring oversight. And I get it, especially if this had been classic 20 episode series a season. I feel like this would have happened in season one somewhere. But when you only have 10 or 12 episodes, there's only so much time you have. And they were putting a lot of energy into really developing the different, the especially the relationship between Beckett and Bradward in the first season. Mm-hmm. That needed to happen, going from, like, have to deal with each other, you were right on the Rimmer Lister reference, to frenemies, to actual friends... But giving them this time and also putting Beckett and this is something I think season two does a really good job of of, or season one Beckett was always right. I'm just going to go back to calling her Mariner. I don't know why I keep doing Beckett, but Mariner is always right. Mm -hmm. And in this one, she's not. And her like, yeah, I'm the tough wild child is kind of getting in her way more than actually helping her anymore. The whole gag with. The computer not recognizing Boimler. Did you did you ever watch any Better Off Ted? No, I recognize the name, but it went us two seasons, one like one and a half seasons. I feel like it was one of those ones that kind of it communicated like, itself. Well, no, like the writer strike happened and it never came back from it. Basically, oh okay, I oh, might be wrong on that. Okay, I might be wrong on that, but like. Um, it only went like a season and a half. It was this guy was like the PR and like ad guy for this just terrible megacorp that was just blatantly terrible in the show. And he was kind of having to spin their shit. Mm -hmm. There's an episode where it had less to do with like the products they were putting out and more like the bullshit that was going on in the office. And they updated and like made their office like super, super fucking futuristic and smart. And it had like recognition software for like everything in the office and the recognition software didn't recognize any of the black employees. Oh no. And so, like, the the B-plot was, like, the corporation trying to get around that. And, like, okay, well, 
we're going to hire like part-time white people just to follow around all the black employees. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> so that they can oh. use the shit and then like well there's like that's such a corporate solution too. <laughs> oh god. See, for me what it felt like was um in Brooklyn 99, Jake Peralta has to go to prison for a while. Actually, there's a couple points where Jake Peralta is pulled away from stuff for a while, and when he comes back, he's trying to make everything normal mm-hmm. again, and needs to accept that both him and, in that case, the precinct, in this case, the crew, are not exactly the same, and it, it, there will be an adjustment period. You just can't just go straight back. Uh, talking to the plate is pretty funny. The jokes about like how he calls it Voy instead of Voyager... But oh, that does save a lot of time. It's straight up a reference that every Star Trek show is uh, abbreviated to three letters. Right. TOS, TNG. the original series. TAS, the animated series. TNG, the next generation. DS9, Deep Space Nine. Voy, Voyager, Ent, Enterprise. Uh, DSC. Discovery. For Discovery, which I don't like as much, but STD was not one that we were going to want to do. <laughs> Um, BNW, I have to guess. BNW, pick for Picard. Okay. And this one's just LD, so it kind of breaks it, but there's just. Can, yeah, what would you. L- You're not going to go LDS. L- <laughs> LDS. LW. LWD. D does not flow. Like, it doesn't. So, yeah. STLD works pretty well. It does still sound like STD too much, but. Um, <laughs> But it's kind that fits this show better than any of the others. Also, it was fun to bring in Robert McNeil Duncan to play Tom Paris again because he was fun and he is a lot like Jonathan Frakes, a guy who largely moved into directing and I mm. think has directed both uh, modern Star Trek and the Orville. Okay. So, what's up with the Orion stuff? Okay, this is actually... I'm think I'm glad that you mentioned this. Other than Tendi, do you know anything about the Orion? I know that they have a weird history, and that's why you have, like, the both sides of how it's been played. Yes. So, starting from, I think, the very first episode of Star Trek, there is the Orion Slave Women. Mm-hmm. There's at least once, I think twice in the original series, the Orion... There's an Orion Slave Woman who does a sexy dance. She's a green woman that does a sexy dance. That's where the Picard fuck, or not Picard, Kirk fucks green women. Right. I knew thing that. Comes from, yeah. Which is funny because he doesn't. I think Pike might come closer than he does. <laughs> uh, don't quote me. I haven't watched the Menagerie, which is the original, or the Cage, which is the original uh, pilot in a long time. It's, it became a thing, and then there was the Orion Syndicate, which was a uh, just a, a reference to here we'll throw old stuff. And the, the Orions are space pirates. They're not a as an or, as a species. They're not a empire like the Klingons or a, a organization like the Federation or the Romulans or anything like that. But they do, especially in DS Nine, they start to develop a kind of they're the mob. Which is weird, because the Orion Syndicate, we never actually see any Orions in it. No Orions appear in any of the 24th century, so TNG, DS9, Voyager stuff. Or if they do, because I'm sure that there's someone going, no, they did. But if they do, it's a, uh, like, background appearance in Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. But, like, O'Brien gets brought into the Orion 
crime syndicate undercover. Quark is always trying to join the Orions. And then in Enterprise, which was trying really hard to be an actual prequel to the original series, especially in its final season, Mm -hmm. they actually brought the Orions back, but because it was like 2000. I don't know specifically when it was, but you know... I was in middle school or high school, so it was the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, They went, you know, the Orion slave woman trope is a little problematic, but we still want to kind of play with it. So they meet the Orions, and it turns out that the Orion slave women aren't actually slave women. They're in charge. Okay. That they have pheromones that they put off that controls men. So it turns out they're not slaves. They're the she bitches in charge. And like it kind of everyone went, I get that you wanted to fix this, but I feel like you went too far the other direction. Don't worry. I'm not a slave. I'm the secret evil mastermind is not necessarily better. Like as a species, our women aren't slaves. They're the dominatrixes. Right. So Tendi has always been kind of fun. And they, they referenced it in the first season, an episode where Mariner had, was trying to make her be a Orion sexy pirate woman. Right. Right. And right. she calls her out on it. And she kind of does that again here. She as long a, as you're okay with the optics of it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, where she keeps... It's interesting to make Mariner culturally insensitive in a few ways. It's even better to make Tawny Mariner... Newsome. I was about to say. <laughs> culturally insensitive. Considering Tawny is one of the hosts of the podcast, Yo, Yo is, is This, this Racist. racist. <laughs> it, it, I really like it. I actually think it's interesting, and I think it is a good examination of, like, just because you're a minority doesn't mean you don't have your own blind spots when it comes to interacting with other... Mm-hmm cultures and then the, watching the him be like it's a Kazon and beat the shit out of him just real quick of going oh, back yeah. to Rimmler the Kazon are the like possibly worst big enemy ever created for Star Trek they were supposed to be they were supposed to be based off of LA gangs oh okay for oof. Voyager cause it, yes one oof yes <laughs> but the idea was like they're not a monolithic culture like the Klingons the Romulans were sort of both the Russians in different ways right the the Borg had their own various things the uh, but it, it was basically different Kazon clans they had a different word for it but it kind of operated as different gangs so you were just as likely to get stuck between two Kazon gangs trying to kill each other and you're in the literal crossfire as it was uh, you know the Kazon teaming up to fight you but they had the big doofy hair, and they kind of looked like the aliens guy from, uh, uh, from ancient astronauts. Yeah. There's a fucking great meme of they found a picture of a Kazon doing that same hand motion, <laughs> yes. going humans. <laughs> uh, but oh yeah, Shaq's being back, and that whole fucking you know about the Black Mountain, right? Oh my god, I laughed so hard, and the Rutherford just traumatized I fucking loved it I love it I also really liked the tiny it's such a tiny little reference to season one where he refers to Rutherford as baby bear Mm -hmm. because he joins the bear pack when he joins security for an episode and Shax fucking loves him and then he's like oh you're going back good for you but he keeps calling it like that just becomes his nickname (laughs) 
Baby Bear, are you okay? I'm just imagining Rutherford being like chief engineer one day and still being fucking Baby Bear to... To Shaxx. Yeah. Yo, also, this show is canon. So what Shaxx told him... Is argue... I mean, Star Trek canon has always been loose enough that if they don't ever want to mention it again, they don't have to. Although I noticed they mentioned the koala again. Mm. From, um... In the first season where someone ascends and he's like, I see a koala! <laughs> what is he staring at? What does he know? Oh, and then later that's on someone's right. like, I saw a koala. They're like, me! And Tindy, uh, who was there for that, was like, maybe we should just not talk about this. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I forgot about that. Shit, that's right. I'm so happy they brought Shax back. I'm so happy that we get more Shax, because he's so funny to me. He's just... He's Worf dialed up to 11 with little bits of, like, Odo or uh, actually Major Kira from DS9, mm-hmm. the, the Bajoran woman, mixed in with it. But I, I do wish that... Also, I feel bad for Kayshawn. He's brought in to be the new chief of security. Shax comes back, and they're like, you can stay, but you can't be chief no more. That's true. Oh, well. Which happens to a few characters, so I get it, but... Mugato Gumato. Uh, that name is a reference to the fact that in the episode that the Mugato appear in, pretty much every actor calls them by a different pronunciation of Mugato. This is... I'm going to say this might be the weakest episode of this season. Oh, thank you. Yes. And We're right on the same page with that. It's a bad episode. I laughed. It was fun. It does some fun character buildup for it. It's fine is really what it is. While every episode, other episode is, like, great. I like every episode of this show, but, like, I can't put my finger on it. I wish I could. There's nothing that I can point to in this episode. But this is the only episode where multiple times I had to stop and rewind because I just completely drifted off from it. It does have a fun reference of, you know, like, oh, you're our last outpost-style Ferengi. The first time we ever see Ferengi in person is in an episode called The Last Outpost, where they have their weird glowing dildo electric whips, and they have the uniforms we see here, and they're the, like super shitty Ferengi that we see here as opposed to later on Ferengi who still suck. Ferengi are the fucking worst. Mm-hmm. But they're a little less uh, problematic in a few ways. Season three, do you think they're going to bring back the the Mugato twins reference? Or whatever it was, Mugato brothers? or That'd be fun. <laughs> We've never seen much... In the same way that we hadn't really seen uh, Tendi and Mariner together before, we hadn't really seen Rutherford and Bradward. I know Boimler, but I just love calling him Bradward. Uh, Boimler interact the same way. Oh, very beginning has a really fun reference to Ambo Jutsu, which is that terrible martial art they're doing. Riker fights his dad in an Ambo Jutsu duel while they deal with their various traumas of each other. And it's not a good fight scene in any way, shape, or form. It's not a terrible scene because mm-hmm. it's, you know, Riker and his dad, like, dealing with the trauma of Riker's dad was unable to deal with his wife dying. And oh. he kind of fucking ditched his son. Okay. He ditched him at, like, 13. So, Oof. like, not okay. Yeah. Riker. But <laughs> Kyle Riker. But. That's the the whole thing that they're wearing. You see Will Frake, Will, Jonathan Frakes. 
wearing that in live action, and <laughs> when they're like, oh, I can dial it up. It uh, It's also a fun little startup of the episode where Mariner realizes that these characters have leveled up a little bit so she doesn't have to hold back in the same way. But then it ends up that they she still needs them to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, Shaq's just watching her beat the shit out of them and being like, you got 10 minutes, whatever, go ahead. Yeah, that was great. With modern, Cece pointed this out, with Starfleet medical capabilities, it's not a big fucking deal if you break some, like, it sucks, but. Right, it's, <laughs> that felt very um, Starship Troopers to me. A little bit, yeah. Strax would love to live in the Starship Troopers universe. Yes, he would. <laughs> he would be uh, best friends with Clancy Brown. <laughs> It'd be everything he dreams of. Uh, and then Tendi was having to get all the med scans. Which is a reference to the fact that there's always a thing. It's usually the captain is avoiding a physical. Mm-hmm. They always, pretty much every captain has a scene where they're avoiding a physical, and the doctor eventually is like, sit down. We're doing this. Other than that, I mean, it, it's, it's fun funny. to see them beat the Ferengi at their own game, basically, and not action hero it. But we've had other episodes that deal with the idea of that. Mm-hmm. The best line in it is, we have to use our strengths, which are right here. Our skin! Our brains. Brains. Yeah, that makes more sense. That's it. That's best line of the episode. But the problem is, that's like only a, I mean, that's a solid B-plus line, but mm-hmm. like that's a... That's the high point. So other than that, it's fine. I want to say the next episode, an embarrassment of duplers would be just as weak if the third act wasn't so fucking strong. Yes. The character growth that happens in an embarrassment of duplers makes up for the fact that the episode itself is meh. eh, It's fine. Letting Boimler and Mariner actually deal with the ref uh with the the underlying tension that's been going on and actually get it out of their system mm-hmm. it's really good and really showing they're not Kirk and Spock but they've developed a similar kind of relationship of how they balance off of each other mm-hmm. and honestly they should be a captain and a first officer to each other cuz they are both so much better when they work together right than when they're not um, this was brought up earlier and later. Do you see a romance with those two? So, with, you know how, like, with Rutherford and Tendy, it's kind of a will they, Just won't they? Just already. With them, I feel like it's more of a they could or couldn't. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see it going either way, and I don't necessarily have feelings either way. I am not pushing for it. I kind of would prefer if they didn't because... Um, I want more just platonic friendships, mm-hmm. but they do have a kind and they do have a kind of uh 10th doctor and Donna Noble. Like stop saying, why does everyone think we're a couple? Yeah. And I've had friendships like that. So great. Yeah. But also they kind of work. Exactly. Like, like I said, it's, it's for me, it's less will they, won't they? It's more, they could or couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine either way. I just was thinking about it because this is this episode more than anything is about those two. Mm-hmm. The the Dupler thing is fine, but the funniest bit of it is uh, Shaq's yelling, your paw is weak. 
which is the pa is like your soul mm. for the Bajoran. So basically, like, <laughs> you're weak-willed and soulless. Uh, who is that actor who plays the dupler? He was a big actor in the 90s, I feel like. He... <laughs> Actually, I recognized that voice. I think he was on, like, fucking... The show before Scrubs that that creator made. Oh, yeah, it's Richard Kind. Oh, yeah, he was in The Producers for, like, a single scene. And he was in uh, Scrubs as a hypochondriac that drives them up a wall in a couple of episodes. See, it was distracting for me to have Richard Kind be the voice for the Dupler Emissary... Because Kind does Kind has done a number of voice roles, but he's not really a voice actor. He changes it up a tiny bit. But like he, he mostly he, is Richard He changes Kind. it up more than somebody who's like a celebrity act you know, mm-hmm. voice actor rather than a voice actor. But voice you mostly actor. hire him for that voice. So he's also the voice of Marty Glauberman. Uh, in Big Mouth, which I watch mm-hmm. all the fucking time. Also, Spin City was the show I was just trying oh, to remember the name mm-hmm. of. Um, and so when I when I kept hearing him, I was like, all I'm hearing right now is Marty Glauberman, and it is really fucking distracting me from this episode. I do not care too much about the Dupler plotline, other than it's just Star Trek oddness that needs to happen while character development is happening. Mm-hmm. Important. How do um, we do tribbles without doing tribbles? Yes. I do find it wild that the ship, the little tiny model ship that they make, actually has a working warp core yeah. with dilithium in it. Like, whoa, you give that to kids. You should not give that to kids. <laughs> they blew up a lock with this. Mm-hmm. The car chase scene is, I, I feel like that's a reference to Nemesis because that's the only time we really see a wheeled car. And there's no reason to have the car chase scene in Nemesis that they have other than I think Patrick Stewart wanted to. Wild violation of the Prime or the Prime Directive in that episode, but or that movie. But um everything at the end is really neat though. I like the whole bar, everything, the whole and bar everyone scene is ending. Good. Up I'm there. such a sucker for family. They do reference a couple of characters from Next Gen. He goes, Oh look, it's Captain Shelby. Shelby served as Riker's first officer in Best of Both Worlds after Picard gets recruited, uh, assimilated by the Borg. And they go, oh, Okana's let in? There was an episode of season two of Next Gen called The Outrageous Okana, where they were trying to introduce a Han Solo character, but he's kind of a 80s knockoff Han Solo. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really work. He is sort of the horny bard of Star Trek, though, so I could see him DJing. Um, the spy humongous. This is the Paclid spy. Well, that's the thing. The Paclid spy is kind of the thing that most pertains to the overall arc of the season, but is kind of the C-plot for the episode. Yes, but every scene with the actual Paclid spy <laughs> is gold. So good. It's the dumbest running joke, and they really play how dumb the Packlets are to an insane degree in this one. And I don't care. Because the important thing from this episode is Boimler with the red shirts. Yeah. Those and, douches. Oh, God. And Well, mainly that one douche. The others just went along. Yeah, one of the... 
Was what's her name? Was the uh, Jen one of the red shirts? Mm. Jennifer Shreyan, by the way. I think so. God, she's oh, in. Yep, shit. she was a prominent member of the red shirts. Oh shit! I didn't realize that Brian Posehn did a couple of the pack led voices. Well, that's amazing. I fucking love Brian Posehn. That's super trash. I saw he was in that episode, but I didn't place who he was. <laughs> we are smart. Oh shit! Uh, calling Freeman Janeway the whole time is such a good gag. Like they finally figured out there's something other than the Enterprise. Ooh, Armis at the end is a great reference. Armis is the thing that kills Tasha Yar, the original chief of security of the Enterprise in Next Gen, who was killed at the end of uh, season one. For no real... I mean, the real reason is the actress wanted out of her contract, but, like, it was a bad way to kill her. So making fun of Armis is a, a class... Because he's just a tar monster. Uh, one of the red shirts is a creature who actually appeared in the animated series, the kind of fuzzy-looking guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And apparently someone else owns the rights to him. So, like, they appear in a completely different science fiction series that the writer... I don't I don't know how it works. I read about it once, but I was kind of high, so eh. Boimler gives a pretty good Starfleet speech, but I like the idea that we find out Boimler is actually a great Starfleet officer just by being Boimler, as opposed to... I mean, and taking what he learned from Riker, mm-hmm. but not by trying to be Riker, but just being Boimler. Also, I love how he's able to just give a pitch-perfect Riker speech. Yeah. <laughs> also, the B-plot They're here... like, do it as Riker. He's like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> the B-plot here of the collecting the various... I fucking love all knickknacks and how much Boimler would have loved it. I, I just... I love how much fucked-up shit they actually deal with. Just... <laughs> All the time. Just all the time. Stuff that you wouldn't think about, but it does happen fucking constantly. The, like, oh, God, these nanobite bots is from a season three episode of Next Gen where Wesley falls asleep while working on a science project and unleashes nanobots across the ship and almost destroys it. Yeah, I, that's another one where I kind of figured every single thing they were running into as a reference, so... Not everything... But enough of them. Seven. Where pleasant fountains lie. So, this one, I very distinctly remember the first time watching this one because it was so strange to me. Um, the what's, what's his name? The guy that this one mostly... Billups? Yeah. So, Billups is voiced by Paul Shear. And it's very obviously Paul Shear because Paul Shear also doesn't really do any voices except for himself. Mm-hmm. His mother, who is continually trying to get him laid in this due to the politics, the way the politics work of their planet, is voiced by June Diane Raphael. June Diane Raphael is Paul Shear's wife. They have multiple children together. <laughs> Strange. Um, I'm going to make an argument at this point that uh, Billups is actually asexual and not just like avoiding sex so he can stay in Starfleet, but is just asexual and should own it. I do like that his mother... I mean, don't try and make your son have sex. That's fucked up. Especially don't <laughs> fake your death to make your son have sex. That's fucked up. But that she's like, 
I love that that's the fucking plot to this, though. Hot guy, hot woman. Either one's fine. Whatever you, whatever. Both of them. Go for it. My guards are trained from birth to skip foreplay. Oh, God. I find it 100% believable that medieval reenactors would just go make their own planets. Yes. 100, 100%. I, play, I love that they rename everything, too. I play Belagarth. I play weird medieval bullshit. I'm about halfway to a medieval reenactor. Admittedly, I find Renaissance fairs kind of fucking odd. I don't hate them in the same way that I would kind of like to go to medieval times one time mm-hmm. just for the experience, but I'm not a reenactor. Yeah. I don't try and make my language flowery. And yes, my Lord, like people. Okay. So in Belagarth, I have earned a knighthood, but for me, it was a lot of like, here's the things I've done. And anytime someone's like, this is Sir Thumbs. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> Do not, especially to people who have never played Bell before, don't introduce me as Sir anything. It's so fucking uncomfortable. So, I mean, so that part's not my scene. So I would fucking go wild on that. But I would have a Rutherford way of like, I'm going to eat this giant fucking turkey leg. This is great. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm here. Why not have a little bit of fun? Also, the fact that the Renaissance Fair culture is super fucking horny is 100% on point with every Ren Fair person I have. Nerd culture has some of the most intense hookup culture that I have ever encountered in my life. Like, we talk about, like, there's that running thing that nerds don't get laid. Nah, man. Nerds get so much fucking dick and or pussy depending on what they're into. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's fucking wild. Truly wild. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, even my notes, my main note for this episode is, oh, it's the Paul and June episode. (laughs) Because it was just so seared into, like, this is really fucking weird. (laughs) She's playing his mom, but is trying to get him laid. So strange. This whole episode. You're right. Describe the plot of this episode is the queen of a planet fakes her death so her son will have to have sex so he can become the king. My only really note on this is it has one of my favorite Dr. Ta'ana moments. Mm. Because she actually shows... Because Dr. Ta'ana is always kind of the, like, gag character, almost more than even Shax. Because Shax has the, like, sacrifices his life to save others and the, like, kind of serious moments. Dr. Ta'ana has always just been the, like doctor with terrible fucking bedside manner. Right. But when she has that moment where she tells to Andy that Rutherford is dead, she actually shows real, like, she shows she cares about Tendi in a way that we've never seen before. Oh, and this also had the, uh, the sentient computer. Oh, who plays that? God, I keep doing that. He's, um, I want to say he was the reanimator. Oh, yeah, it was Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs has played more characters than any other actor in the history of Star Trek. Jeffrey Combs is fucking everywhere in Deep Space Nine. He also plays Shran in Enterprise. He plays Brunt in Deep Space Nine. He plays, like, 15 different versions of Wayun in Deep Space Nine. So getting him to come play... People were trying to get him on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Oh. As, like, I mean, because he kind of looks like a guy who was going to be the Doctor... In uh, who was the doctor in the cage, the original next uh, original series pilot with Pike in it, 
But then they decided to not do that because if they didn't bring in Dr. Mbenga in uh, Uhura, it would have been the whitest fucking show of all time. Um, that was all fine. That was... I mean, that's just more with Boimler and Mariner getting to understand kind of their new power dynamic yeah. now that Mariner's realizing that Boimler's kind of leveled up a bit. Mariner is not... I mean, she's still his mentor in a way, and she's still kind of the boss, but that's just more of a personality thing as opposed to a capability thing. Mm-hmm. I love that they the Federation just has this giant fucking prison of sentient computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I excretus. I love this episode. It's great. The the th- uh, three thing the woman that can split into three parts is a strange the animated series thing character. Yeah, if there's a character reference or like a thing that's really fucking weird in Star Trek, it's prob like over the top weird. It's probably the animated series because Hanna Barbera made that series. I love the the Boimler fucking cracking out and perfect, basically <laughs> just perfecting a run on a video game. Uh huh. Again, the fact that he's the I only one that can pass. Also, it's I taught uh, a a couple of bits of where she's like, "You're so close to human, but not." Is straight up in first contact. The Borg Queen seduces Data. Mm hmm. So reference to that. I taught the Borg Queen chess and taught her humanity <laughs> is a very classic how to beat someone in Star Trek kind of move. Grabbing all the Borg babies. It is interesting how comfortable the lower deckers are starting to become to working on the bridge. Because in before, anytime they had bridge duty, and everyone but Mariner was like, oh, fuck, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And she was pissed off about having bridge duty. Now, they'll just go take positions there without even having to think about it. They're becoming... Ensign Rowe means nothing to you, but she was a recurring character who had that kind of position. She's becoming what they're becoming Wesley Crusher. They're not the upper crew. They're not the the chief crew members, but they're, you know, working on the bridge is not a big deal to them. Mm -hmm. They could easily get promoted to. I can't think of the words they have for the the main crew member, but. Right. Whatever. Bridge buddies. <laughs> That's next episode. Yeah. But, um, uh, no. Uh, so the 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 triple lady, and we end up like she ends up admitting that mm-hmm. all of the the drills were, were kinda, designed to fail. Yeah, were designed to fail, and they were kind of juiced against the people, kind of like a carnival. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wish we would have got to see more examples of how they were like rigged against them. All of those are fucking real episodes of Star Trek. Oh, I Trek. figured that. I was like, oh shit, this is all, like every single one of these. Uh, the one that's not directly is the the, the horny virus, as they describe it, is from... <laughs> Naked um, Time. I believe the episode is called The Amok Time. No, that's a different one, but it's, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. But there's an episode that makes everyone act out their wildest, like, impulses. And in this one, it was just sex. I do love that she sees Boimler naked and she's like, fail me and fucking <laughs> drops everyone out into space. Um, shit. I just, man, I just love Boimler cracking out on that so much, though, for some reason. I mean, I just, I think I understand. I get it. I've been there. Him being assimilated and, uh, like, I can hear him just shuffling about in there. And, like, he's fucking traumatized at the end is a very making fun of Pic- 
Picard, not making fun of, but reference to Picard becoming Lacutus. He becomes Excretus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having an episode afterwards where he's straight up traumatized. They took everything from me, which is, he says, and it's like treated as a joke at the end, is a whole fucking plot line to one of the major movies. Mm-hmm. I love that he got assimilated and was still at like 8%. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, like that's how, oh, that was good. That was good. I, I fucking, I don't know. This might be, that might be one of my favorite episodes of the season. I just think it's because one of, of the how best. much, I don't know. I guess I've just been there on cracking out on a run. I agree. And it shows how good Boimler actually has become. Mm hmm. Um, which I know I've said several times, but it's the the one of the major arcs of the season is, holy shit, Boimler has become a really good Starfleet officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wage Douche is the next episode, and it might be my favorite episode of the season. Ooh, I was about to say, if the last one wasn't, then this one is, with all the lower decks. Wage Douche is possibly one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. Like, I think it hits upper echelon of just Star Trek in general. The the bridge buddy plot is actually the least interesting part to me, although it is fun. Mm-hmm. I love that it turns out that Rutherford has like three bridge buddies that everyone just fucking loves Rutherford. Um, How do you not? It's fucking Pillboy. I get it. I appreciate that they have them all pretend to be Hawaiian and then they call out themselves on how fucking problematic that is. Oh my god. Um... I just liked bouncing across all the different lower decks. Mm-hmm. That was great. I felt like the Vulcans were played a little stronger than they should. You but know what? I could see some... Vulcan culture is weird, because the Vulcans who do great in Starfleet... Like, I mean, Vulcans are a major part of the Federation and of Starfleet, but the ones that stay in the Vulcan center can be super shitlords. I was about to say, I feel like they were played strong, but I feel like they're still on the correct Vulcan spectrum, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily the logic extremists that we meet in, like, Discovery, where they straight up are like, we're going to set off bombs to make you leave the Federation. But they're stringent. But they are hardcore. I mean, Vulcans have Kolinar, which is a uh, ritual where you literally purge yourself of all emotions. All emotions. I feel like they take it too far of, like, I think, like, you know, my study has shown this while they'd be like, well, that was weird that you did that, but, like, makes sense. But also, we have seen Vulcans be shitlords to other Vulcans if they have any kind of, any kind of emotional thing. That Vulcan ship is fucking huge. Usually, they're, like, significantly smaller, and in this one, it was a... Yeah, it was a big ship. ship. That was a big old ship. I really loved the Klingon parts. I mean, I already love Klingon, so I was always going to. Mm-hmm. But they straight up tell a solid Klingon story on its own. While I also, also making jokes of, like, it was an honorable bowel movement. Like, I loved what, like, the standout line for this episode for me is when the Klingons are making fun of the Vulcans and they do the fucking avoid death and cower instead of live long and prosper. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fun because we find out the first time Vulcans met Klingons, they had what they dubbed the Vulcan hello, which was just shooting the Klingons automatically before even trying to talk being like, you're going to take us fucking seriously. We've shot you. 
Now shut up and listen. Fun. Interesting. <laughs> I don't have a lot of to say about this one as much as I just enjoy all of the bits. It's of just it. a brilliant episode. Also, the amount that they commit to the bit of showing the lower decks of the Borg ship at the very end. Oh, so and it's good. a solid 30 seconds of the Borg just powered down, basically. Powered down in their uh, Borg uh, receptacles. So good. So good. So he's just like, did they make the end credits longer for this? <laughs> first, first contact. We get to see a character who actually appeared in the original series. Not in the original series, in Next Gen. Uh, the the captain of the Excelsior ship, the uh, captain... Sonia Gomez. Sonia Gomez was created to be a possible romantic interest for Jordy and appears in a couple episodes of season two. She spills her cocoa all over Picard. Oh. Where there's that moment where an ensign trips in front of her and she goes, don't worry, I've done much more stress. Oh, okay. Because she, the, her most that memorable moment in her appearances now. is spilling cocoa on Picard. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense now. Once again, everything I... In this show, I'm like, that's a reference to something. I just haven't seen enough Star that's Trek. That's why it was so in, it's so interesting to me that you really like this show. I mean, I w- I'm not surprised because it's really funny on its own. But you and I are watching completely different shows. Yes. And the fact that both of us are still getting the show is what makes me so happy about Lower Decks. Cerritos minus Hull is hands down my favorite Star Trek ship. It's not, but it looks super cool. I love the California. They keep making fun of the California class. I'm like, you shut up. You because use Miranda classes for 75 years, and this is a better Miranda class. Like, I Yeah, minus the whole, that is hands down my favorite. It looks really good. Plus, plus I mean, already the Cerritos is probably... One of my favorites. It just looks good. It just looks good. I like that California class design. It's kind of a... Squat little stubby boy, but that's fine. That that's it's, fine. I so here's the, the way I was. Old, okay, go ahead. Sorry, I was thinking about it earlier in the week. If somebody were to describe the Enterprise to me with my limited drawing skills, the way I would draw it off of a description would probably end up looking more like the California class. Fair. My only problem with it is that the. Saucer section and the main hull do not seem to be connected to each other except by the nacelles, Mm. which is strange because it either means they have to have a hallway through the fucking nacelles or they have to literally use the transporter to (laughs) get from one part of the ship to the other. I kind of like that. I kind of do too, but like if something goes wrong, you're supposed to get in the saucer section and leave. Like that's, but it's a cool design, so I don't care. Um, it's a pretty classic Star Trek move of another ship is damaged and they have to figure out how to save it in a certain amount of time. And it's it's just cool. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of it. Also, I mean, we already know that they're taking her more seriously because they're going to give her a bigger ship. But uh, Captain Freeman, her second contact taking place like 30 seconds after... The first First contact contact. means they're really, like, Mm -hmm. much more serious. It is an interesting commentary of, like, there there is a thing, because we're used to it with both Enterprise crews that we get a lot of. When they get a new ship in the movies, they keep the crew of the last one. But that doesn't always happen, obviously. Right. 
So in fact, it sounds of, like it usually pretty doesn't. Rare. So we kind of get a commentary of it's only on like the big name ships where they've proven that this crew is fucking one in a million mm-hmm. that they don't uh, bring the whole crew with them. And that's the thing. They do that in this episode mm-hmm. only for the end to be Freeman gets locked up. Yeah. Also, I do enjoy that Freeman has spent, before we get to that, mm-hmm. Freeman has spent the whole episode trying to get upgraded to finally being like, yeah, no, not, if, really not if I can't be. do it like, with them. Yeah. Which is a big Star Trek thing of, you don't, I love it about Star Trek, because almost every other thing is like, you should always be climbing up the social ladder. A major lesson of Star Trek is if you find a place where you are home, where you fit, where people around you are making you better, it is okay to stay in that place. Mm-hmm. It's also okay to leave if the opportunity and the timing is right for, like, more things. But it's okay for Riker to stay a commander for years, even though he's ready to be a captain, because he's so fucking good at being a first officer. It's okay for Kirk to be a captain, because it turns out he gets promoted a little too high, and he's not a bad admiral, but he's a great captain. Mm Mm-hmm. This is another episode where I don't have much to say about it, because I feel like the episode kind of speaks for itself. It's a really good episode of the crew coming together and, crew getting, com- and getting the job done. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's kind of the lesson of season two. The season one, these characters were all so chaotic and they're Starfleet. They're still Starfleet, but they're also like wildly disorganized and incapable. Even at the beginning of the season, they were pretty like, mm-hmm. but by the end, this is a tight crew. Also, I love that we get to see cessation ops and it's literally fucking dolphins. Oh my god, the fucking horny dolphins. Brother, <laughs> <laughs> get your glistening body in here, or whatever it is. Uh, well, they mentioned, oh, we're gonna go swimming with cetacean ops, and I was like, didn't even really put together what that was. I was like, oh, they're gonna go swimming with some people in the holodeck. No, there's just a ocean part of this fucking ship. I, yeah, I, that's so fucking good. That's so fucking good. And they're definitely going back there in the next season. We've so, seen it in yeah, the trailer. in the trailer. It was also one of those things, too, when it's like, oh, Boimler has to go do this swim. It's like, well, they can, they can drag him, can't they? Because they never mention it. And then when he jumps in, they do drag him. And I'm like, oh, good, somebody thought of that. Mm-hmm. But there's only so far in they can go. What a mm-hmm. terror. As much as I love the California class, that was a poorly designed little aspect right there. But it's not uncommon. They always have something terribly designed. Every sci-fi show has the, like, I have to go get this one switch. It's in the worst possible place. For some reason, we put it behind five metal fans. (laughs) They're all spinning at different speeds. I have to jump down this hallway. Fucking. (laughs) Doctor Who does that scene better than anything else when Christopher Eccleston has to walk through the fans. But, uh... Uh... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, this last one I feel like mostly speaks for itself. I just I want to know really who set it. up Captain Freeman. Mm. Now I'm I'm curious if somebody set up Captain Freeman, or if the joke is going to end up being just like the way the way these things look without context. Could be that, or could be they needed her to go undercover, so they faked an arrest so she would be out of I don't know it's weird and also I'm gonna laugh if it, it turns out that it was in fact the Packlet set it up that well that'd be funny I will say it is odd not necessarily a critique but it is odd that 
of the Star Trek shows that have released seasons this year, two of them ended with the most powerful woman on the ship getting arrested. Oh, wow. Which is fucking strange. I don't know why that happened, but... You know, it's, this is going to be weird, but that reminds me of something that I was going to say when we were talking about trailers on Saturday that I didn't get to bring up. Uh-huh. And so this is going to be a weird veer off of Star Trek for just, I'm going to make this real, real, do it, do it, do real, it. real quick. Uh, I'm so glad we're getting Namor. Yes. It's really interesting that uh, they have all, they've pretty much confirmed that Miss Marvel in the show is a mutant. Yes. The next mutant that they introduce needs to be white or else things are getting weird. Huh. Huh. I don't disagree. (laughs) Huh. You just broke me a little bit. (laughs) Although there's no guarantee that they're going to make Namor a mutant in this one. Namor the first. But he's got the he's got the feeties. I know, but making him a direct, like, one of the mutants, one of the X-Men, has always been a kind of weird move on Marvel's part. But he's their fierce mutant. Even though fucking Apocalypse predates him by, like, well, first 4, mutant years. First mutant publication-wise. I, I get it, but <laughs> when they call him the first mutant in the comics, I'm like, no. Well, not he's not, but... <laughs> but... Namor the First Mutant was a pretty good name for a miniseries they did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, huh. <laughs> it feels weird saying that, believe me. But I just want some proper Cyclops love for the first time ever, so bring it. Just saying. You're not wrong. It's weird. Back to Star Trek. I could talk about Star Trek for another two hours easily, but I almost kind of feel like, unless you have anything else in line... I don't really have anything else. Let's just jump to recommendations and, uh... Fucking just go watch this, guys. Yeah, you know what? My recommendation is something we have talked... We've done an episode about before, but since I brought up a couple of the characters earlier, it's just been on my mind the entire time. Uh, Guys, go watch Red Dwarf. Oh, God. We've been wanting to do another Red Dwarf episode, too, just because it's so... Good. I mean, Pat, my favorite way to recommend Red Dwarf to people is Patrick Stewart is sitting in his hotel just watching TV and Red Dwarf comes on. And he says that he was literally picking up the phone to call the lawyer to be like, can we sue these people into oblivion for ripping us off this bad? And like, as he's reaching to like dial, something makes him laugh and he's like, all right, I'll give this a chance. And then he ends up being such a big Red Dwarf fan that he was on the fucking documentary about the show. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, you're already sitting here listening to us talk about sci-fi comedy, so... It's the best sci-fi comedy possibly ever made. It walked so Futurama could run. Exactly. Uh, and so Lower Decks could run. Yeah. Lower Decks owes a lot to Red Dwarf. I think a lot of sci-fi comedy in general owes a lot to Red yeah. Dwarf. Um, oh, God. I didn't... Uh, the Death of Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. It's a recent miniseries. I actually... We have added in an upcoming episode of uh, Noob Island that we're going to do covering it. I don't usually go for... One, I don't go for event crossover comics much anymore. And two, I don't go for, like, this character's going to die now because... One, it's hard to top the death of Captain America from 2005. It was just so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And two, it just became cliche. It, it got to the point that Marvel had a requirement to kill a major character 
I don't remember if it was quarterly or twice a year because oh. there was a sales boost and it yeah. got so overdone that it just who fucking cares death of Dr. Strange. And I like a lot of Dr. Strange that's come out lately is one of the best Dr. Strange books of the 21st century. Damn. It's good. And it shows how much Dr. Strange has grown as a character while Dr. Strange is a giant dick hole in it. In I was about to say, yes, but is Mac going to like it? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's got both versions. Mac is our guy on Noob Island. He wanted to do learn about Doctor Strange. We just did Magic the Marvel Universe instead. And has found that Doctor Strange is Doctor the, his least favorite character of all the ones we've covered. He likes Doctor Strange comics, but he thinks Doctor Strange is such an asshole. And he's right. But we get without explaining, we get old school Doctor Strange before he became the Sorcerer Supreme, but was still a magician, when he still called himself the master of the black arts. Okay. And we get modern day Doctor Strange and we get to see the wild character growth, but we also get to see the flaws of both versions of Doctor Strange. It's it's so good. And Clea gets a personality. Nice. Good for her. Plus Finally. Bats. Plus <laughs> Bats the Ghost Dog is in it, and I have nothing else. If you just yes. Bats the Ghost Dog is more one of bats. the most perfect characters in Marvel history. More bats all the time. But that's a different podcast, basically. Uh uh. Next time, we don't know what we're doing. We talked about maybe doing Power Rangers. We had a few other ideas. We'll talk about um, it. We'll figure it yeah, out. It's going to be something fun and whatever. nerdy. <laughs> uh, but you'll find out next time. In the meantime, we're your Journals of Nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.